You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Well, thank y'all very much for coming. I'm a I always love teaching Walker Percy because he just feels like, come on in, feels like a kindred spirit, you know, coming from, from Birmingham and, uh, and then, uh, went to high school, went to school at, uh, Birmingham University School, which, uh, uh, is boys school over there on, uh, on Montclair and, uh, which is where you went, which is where I went, my, my old school there. And uh, merged with uh, Brook Hill School. It's now Altamont School. Okay, so you may have heard of Altamont there. But uh, oh, and he, uh, his family went to Independent Presbyterian Church, where I taught a number of courses. Oh, they've been nice enough to have me over a number of times there. And his uh, he spent a number of su- summers as a child up at Sewanee, where I went to college there, and. Uh, and then he he took his family and they vacation at Gulf Shores, which is where I did as a kid back when it was just a bunch of summer forty two cottages. If you before all the hurricanes blew things away and blew in all the Phoenix ninety seven, <laughs> all that stuff, right? That just kind of took over the beach there. But anyway, he was uh, <clears throat> he was born over uh, on, on on Highland Avenue over near. I get them messed up. Temple uh, Bethel, I get Emmanuel, right, and right there where, where the uh, corner there where the Bethel is where Bethel. That's where I was, right. Bethel, you got the, what that Chevron there and there, and it's at the foot of that really steep hill where the cross country team used to Arlington, and then there's one. What's that one that goes straight up? There's Arlington, and the really steep one goes back up. Anyway, where some of my runners and some masochistic workouts sometimes <laughs> ran up there. Um, but anyway, all that's left there is the, there's a, a stone wall there. Okay, so from his, his very early roots would be the stone wall. You can just touch them and thank him for the book that's probably confused your way. <laughs> I've, I've had a number of people say, I know, and that's my, that's my response the first time. He's kind of off center. You don't see many Catholic existentialists. It's just, it's a little different animal than what you usually come across. But anyway, they moved over uh, the mountain and went over, moved to uh, to Ridge Drive for maybe off Country Club, where some of y'all know that it's that corner house right there. And his father was, uh, <clears throat> I think, uh, about the fifth, I believe, president of the Birmingham Country Club. So if you're ever over there, you can look on the wall and see his father's picture there. But you know, we. Uh, we we all get kind of <clears throat> kicked around a little bit. We all get knocked down some. That's that's okay. Just make sure you get back up every time. And so he had a let's see his his grandfather <clears throat> committed suicide, shot himself. Then over on Ridge Drive, uh, his father committed suicide, and then so uh, they moved to Greenville, Mississippi, and uh, and a couple years later, and just strange thing his mother was driving a car and the youngest of the three boys uh finn was in the car with him and she went off like a bridge and was just and finn who was just a few years old but he remembered looking at his mother and and seeing her with her eyes wide open rigidly holding on to the steering wheel while water filled up the car and fortunately he <coughs> was able to escape so the, i mean they're orphans 
All those poor, bless their hearts. They're just orphans. And here's, uh, here is where God reaches in. Jocelyn's always concerned that I tie the, she said, you can teach the books, but you gotta tie this into religion, okay? <laughs> <clears throat> so, you know, if y'all ever want to start off with prayers and we'll bring in some that should, that's the way, I, from IPC, I, to me, you know, love and God and faith and honor, that, to me it all ties in religion, but, Jocelyn's a little more specific, like, okay, let's get this to the Bible somehow. And I, okay, help me out here. Uh, but anyway, so here's God reaching in, and you know, God, God always has a plan for us. Okay, Jocelyn, I'm gonna make you happy. Here's my favorite verse on a napkin that I re- wrote down at a friend's house. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. I just love that. I mean, that is, that's on my chest of drawers. And so God had a plan for Walker Percy. And so here, in step, when they're just orphans, just out of luck, okay? In steps, their cousin, they called him Uncle Will, but William Alexander Percy, who was a heck of a good poet. You maybe haven't heard of him. He wrote, wrote Lanterns on the Levee, which is just like almost the Bible up at Sewanee because he has a whole chapter on Sewanee up there. And, uh, and he just, he's a lifelong bachelor and he just stepped and said, I'll, I'll adopt you. And so they moved, you know, moved to Greenville and, uh, that's, uh, where they had the, uh, <clears throat> you know, connection with Sewanee Summers and, uh, just exposed to just, uh, endless visitors of artists and writers and things like that, which really helped him. So anyway, after, so we went to, uh, let's say there, he became good walker, uh, person, became good friends with Shelby Foote that you may be acquainted with from some of the Civil War specials and things. And uh, there, was, there was one time they went to visit William Faulkner and uh, uh, Faulkner was notorious about being pretty crusty. You know, sometimes people just dropping in. So uh, Shelby went in and talked to him for an hour and had a nice chat and Walker just hid in the car, I think, for, for a year there. But this... Uh, uh, they came. They were just really close friends. So anyway, Walker went on to Chapel Hill, and went and uh, went to med school and graduated from med school. But he contracted tuberculosis, probably from dissecting cadaver. And uh, the way they treated people for the TB back then is that you're just up there on a you know porch out there in the Adirondacks or someplace, and you know out there in the cold and it's the the cold really held down the transmission of tuberculosis so they hoped to cure the tuberculosis a little little faster than you froze to death but you you have to be sedentary so he did a lot of reading okay and so he started reading uh uh the french existentialist sartre and um, uh, camus and some dostoevsky and other people and so that's where the existentialism came into his into his writing and uh, he beat the tuberculosis, and uh, he never practiced medicine because uh, uh, from reading, he was also reading Sinclair Lewis' uh, book called Aerosmith, and in it's a doctor, a very admirable doctor named Max Gottlieb, and in Sinclair Lewis are not many admirable characters. I mean, he really usually shreds you, but uh, this guy was a really good doctor, and that inspired Walker to become a doctor. Uh, excuse me, to, to become a writer. And uh, anyway, so he decided to, he's just going to be a writer because that gave him a new means of coping with depression 
and a replacement for his lost faith in science's capacity to remedy the misery of the human soul. That's from Ross Reynolds of Swaningrad. So basically what he's saying is medicine's really good for healing the body, but when you've got a wrecked soul like he has from, we were talking about how he became a, an orphan, and uh, then literature has maybe a little better shot than that. So he decided to become a writer, and uh, his fir first book was called The Movie Goer, which uh, won the National Book Award, which is a pretty good start for your first one there. Yes, you figure that out pretty pretty quickly. <clears throat> um, there's a story, uh, I bet a bunch of y'all have read a, a Confederacy of Dunces, uh, too, which is, you know, if my old English teacher from B, well, I was talking about BUS, Mr. Hames, if y'all ever, you've never forgotten Martin Hames, all 400 pounds, I'm one of the big guy, but he was a big formative influence for me in my reading and my writing. And uh, anyway, he, th this would have been the movie starring Martin Hames <laughs> if, if they ever did a Confederacy of Dunces. But anyway, uh, Walker was down in Louisiana and uh, had a knock on the door and this little old lady came up, just frowsy looking ladies. He said, ma'am, may I help you? And she said, I, I, I'd like for you to, to read my son's book. And he said, well, now why would I want to do that? <laughs> because it's good. Of course, it's, the, it's her son, so of course it's good. But anyway, so he's a Southern gentleman, so yes, ma'am. And you know, he said, I'll read the first paragraph and I'll see it's no good. And then I'll just be able to, and he said, darn if it wasn't good. And he, so he ended up helping get it published. He wrote the introduction to it and, and everything, so helped him. Well, then he fought off the tuberculosis. He finally did succumb to cancer. Um, and if you want to read some more, The Last Gentleman is really maybe his second best, really good. That was his second book, and that almost won the National Book Award. Some people said it deserved it. You just couldn't give it to the same guy two years in a row. Love in the Ruins, Lancelot, The Second Coming, Thanatos Syndrome are all really fine. You want to read some criticism? Jay Tolson is the, uh, is the best one to, to come across there. And when he said that when... When Walker Percy died, is as if some of the ballast had gone out of the world, which I thought was a nice way of saying. So as I was passing, the, I don't know if that's gotten around it, but anyway, here's uh, here's Walker Percy in his later years, and there is a blow up of him as the top Latin student at, at BUS and uh, my old school, and uh, we my first year at Altamont, I, we hosted a symposium on Walker Percy. And we had Jay Tolson come as a speaker and some other fine critics. So that was a lot of fun. And if you want to ever critique my writing, you can read this little essay and get your red ink pen out and mark it up. All you want is get revenge for your children's sufferings or something, you know, if you want to. Well, all right. Well, that's uh, just a little introduction to him. Let's uh, get into the book here. Now, I'm kind of a new critic, like... Uh, Robert Penn Warren and TSL, not that I'm compared to Robert Penn Warren or TSL in that group, but uh, I like to just get into the text. I like to look at it. the plays, the thing, as Shakespeare said. So, so you know, we're, we're always underlining and looking <laughs> carefully at quotations to help uh, understand things, okay? All right, well, here's his first book, and you see the dedication to W.A.P., William Alexander Percy. Uh, uh, 
Pert Walker's one time called him, said the most extraordinary man I ever knew, and I owe him a debt I'll never be able to pay. And so, anyway, read some of his poetry. I think he's kind of the last <coughs> romantic. Well, this is Jay Tolson's favorite book, and that's a pretty good endorsement. And uh, the book by Jay Tolson is uh, Pilgrim in the Ruins, his little uh, biography of, of uh, Walker Percy. Well, the big themes that you want to look for when you read Walker Percy are loneliness, <coughs> The quest, homesickness, and malaise. And the key word in him is malaise. Is that that you know you're depressed, and you and you don't know why. I mean, you're just in a huge hole, uh, just in a big funk. Cameron was just talking about that in the in the church service that we were just in on. Okay, my favorite line by Walker Percy. He once said, "We love those who have seen the worst of us." and do not turn away. I mean, anybody would be proud of that line, Faulkner and everybody else. We love those who have seen the worst of us and do not turn away. That's unusual syntax, but you see what I mean? We love those who have seen us at our worst. And they say, like you folks, I still love you. I mean, everybody loves you when you just, you know, when you just got your pro contract or your MVP or what, or you've just got that multi-million dollar stuff. Everybody, you've got your posse. Everybody loves you. Look around who's still there when you're just down. And I mean, you have just gotten kicked around, uh, and you, you hold those people close to you. Now, while I was looking at this, the new edition, the book, and, oh, that, the good news is that's the same page numbers is mine. I bought the new book and I was going to have to transfer all my notes and stuff. But thank goodness it's the same pages, so it's okay. But it had information. This was number, did y'all see this? Number 60 in the Modern Libraries list with the 100 best 20th century novels. That's pretty good. Number 60. And then in Time Magazine ranked, put it in the top 100 English language novels. So that's pretty good for your first book, isn't it? Nice job. Okay, well, all right, so I always tell my students, and I, I taught at Altamont and Randolph for a long time, start with the epigraph, okay? And that's used, that quotation again that you, a lot of people skip over, and they get to page one, let's, let's get this thing done fast as I can here. But he quotes Kierkegaard, another person he read up there in the, <clears throat> the mountains of, uh, you know, North Carolina when he's sitting out on that porch freezing death wrapped up in a blanket. The specific character of despair is precisely this. It is unaware of being despair. So you know what that means. It's a, the, what's the worst part of despair? You, you don't even know you're sad. I mean, you've been that way so long. It just seems normal, right? Okay? And so... Here's what he's trying to fight his way out of after, you know, losing, you know, both his parents and uh, it's just, uh, he, you're, you're searching for happiness and he's searching for God. And uh, this is, and he's searching for the faith here. You, we start out here in, in what, Mardi Gras and we end in Ash Wednesday. I don't know if y'all noticed that. So more religion, okay, <laughs> tie in there. Um, and so when I talk to my students, I, I dis distinguish between sadness, depression, and despair. <clears throat> to me, they're different things. Sadness, things are bad, but they're going to get better. Depression, things are bad. They're going to be that way for a long time. But despair, what Kierkegaard's talking about, you're, you're in a hole and you don't see a way out. 
I mean, that's when bad things happen. And that's when you got to tell my kids, get outside, get in the sunlight, get moving, get around other people. The worst thing does go in your bedroom, put on the shades, put on some, you know, twisted babysitter, headbanger stuff. And, you know, that's, that's, that's not good. Get out of there. Okay. So, uh, what Walker's trying to do here, he's, he's trying to pull himself out of that hole and define God and define faith and define love and happiness with Kate and, um, and it's the, the Pilgrim in the Ruins, which it's a great title that Tolson picked for his biography. And Percy talked about the pilgrim's search outside the self rather than the guru's search within. So he looked outside in literature, in friendships, with his, uh, with his cousin Will. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and just, I guess, just... <laughs> Out of habit from 44 years of teaching. I'll go ahead and give you the page number. I, we can't spend a whole lot of time going to exactly quotation, but I, I can tell you the page that I'm on for the quotation. If you're a glutton for punishment and you want to try to find it, Mark, there, there'll be no, uh, no pop quizzes, no, uh, no test essays there. This is painless Palmer right here. Okay. You get, you, you, you get, you get the literature without, without having to <laughs> suffer through essays and tests that are impossible and things like that. So again, <clears throat> look for your big things. Whenever you read Walker Percy, Malaise, okay, the, the, the key quote, the key, uh, themes of the, you know, loneliness quest, homesickness. They just keep popping up over and over again. Alright, so we start out, we're talking, his aunt, his aunt Emily's going to be really important here. Yeah, she's very important. And she speaks for the Old South. She speaks for her, you know, for his cousin Will. He starts at getting a note from his aunt. And at the bottom of page three, he says, he remembers my older brother Scott died of pneumonia when I was eight years old. The aunt had charge of me and took me for a walk behind the hospital. Well, now, Binks Bowling, our protagonist, he's wounded. He's hurt. He's, he is suffering. He's, he's got wounds inside and out. And here's one of them is he's lost his brother. And I think of, uh, Holden Caulfield, for those of you that are familiar with Catcher in the Rye, which is just like a seminal book for so many of my ninth graders there. And when he, his, his brother Allie died and he just misses him so much. So here's one of the part of Binks's problem is that he's, uh, he's lost his brother. Okay. All right. And, uh, let's see. And then, uh, we find out that, uh, <coughs> Binks has girlfriends. He's had kind of a steady group. He likes being in the, in the company of women there. But again, Okay, I mean, you can hammer him for it, but I mean, he's, he, he's trying to get his mind off some of the, the, the ache, the hurt he's got inside. If you've read, uh, Styron's great book, Sophie's Choice, or seen the movie. What's her name? Great actress. Meryl, that's the best acting I ever saw in my life when she's in that concentration camp. Anyway, Sophie's Choice, again, is trying to, trying to deaden, take your mind off things with, with, you know, with sex and, uh, and he's looking for love, but right now it's just been not very fulfilling there. 
On page six, he talks about, in the end, I got tired of Birmingham businessmen smirking around Bourbon Street. I thought, so, <laughs> Bur Bur Birmingham, Birmingham kind of creeps in now and then. I, there, he, he has some scenes in his books about looking out on the golf course. And if those are familiar with Ridge Drive, you're kind of up there and you've got a nice good view of the Birmingham Country Club over there. He played a, played a lot of golf out there. He says, my wallet is full of identity cards. But going, I think that's there. He has no identity. He's looking for himself. Uh, E.B. White wrote an essay about all, all, this, all the numbers you have in your life. You start adding them up. All the phone numbers, Social Security, all these things that identify who you are. But if you don't really know who you are, you, you can have a wallet full of cards and stuff. It doesn't help. You've got to know in your heart who you are and what makes you happy. On page 7, I think it's pretty cool, he, he mentions uh, the actor William Holden, which is right after he talks about losing his brother, so I start talking about catching the rye in Holden Caulfield. I think he wanted you to think that. Okay? I think that. Uh, on page 9, um, <clears throat> he's uh, a stock and bond broker. I think of The Great Gatsby. You know, Nick Carraway is in the bond business. But it's a deeper thing than just stocks and bonds. It's like human bonds, isn't it? When you talk about the Jay Gatsby and uh, you know marriage bonds and friendships bonds and host guest bonds, all those things that are broken in the Great Gatsby. And I think you're, he's talking about human bonds in this book too. He says, what, "Mrs. Schneider, the landlord, when I live on the Elysian Fields, and the Elysian Fields, as you know, is that, that's the good side of Hades, right?" In the out there, but he's kind of also. I'm kind of trying to find my way out of hell a little bit too. On page uh, ten, this is interesting. He said, "This morning, for the first time in years, there occurred to me the possibility of a search." Well, there's again one of the four central themes in Walker Percy. And you know, if 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 you're looking for something, if you're looking for faith and love, then you. You're on the right track. You, you've got a shot. If you don't even care, if you're not looking, if you're not, if you're just stuck, then it's things that look pretty bad there. And this was interesting. He said, "What general, what are generally considered to be the worst times are for me the to be the best times are for me the worst times, and the worst of times is one of the best." Now, see, that's kind of line you, you may read and you say, "I don't get this guy." Okay, it's just, it's just, it's not work, but. Um, I think of, uh, let's see, y'all read The Open Boat, Stephen Crane, one of the greatest short stories. Read that sometime, but it's a, a ship goes down and, and the correspondent, there are four guys in a little rowboat fighting for their lives for three days after the ship sinks and, uh, and the correspondent bonds with Billy, the oil or one of the, crew there and it becomes he realized as they're fighting for their lives he said this was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because he starts realizing you know uh just the importance of of human life and friendship and human bonds i think of uh well, well flannery o'connor we've got to get flannery in somewhere right but she said it is the extreme situation that shows what we are essentially the extreme situation shows what we are essentially. And so she will have, you know, grannies that facing the misfit and, the, you know, a good man's hard to find and think that's where sometimes you have to be facing, if not death, I mean, where it's, it's, it's serious situation to strip away all the other stuff and to realize what really matters to you, your faith, your family, 
your country. And all this, all the little nonsense that clutters our brains sometimes just gets stripped away because you realize this is all I can take with me to eternity. And so you got the open boat. Um, I think of the, the, uh, you know, the blackouts in, in New York City. I remember that the, uh, there was a, remember years back there was a blackout and the, all the pillaging. Remember all the, all the, all the, homes that were th businesses that were just pillaged there in new york and then you had 9-11 and then they had another blackout and people said oh here it comes again you know here it comes again and there's almost no looting in new york city pitch blackness people said well how'd that happen and people this is kind of 9-11 like we're in this together you know, the, the, it just doesn't seem right after all that we've gone through with 9-11 to, uh, to jump on people like that. That's, uh, anyway, I, I thought it was kind of nice. What was it? Was it the one year anniversary of 9-11 in France? Everything stopped for like, did y'all read that? It's like what? For like five minutes? They stopped the metro, everything. How do, how do you stop everything in France, but just out of tribute? to what we did. I said, whoa. It's like the whole country just turned and paid tribute and said, uh, we're sorry. We're sorry to what happened. All right, page 13 here. Uh, the search is what someone would undertake if he were not sunk in the everydayness of his own life. This morning, for example, I felt as if I'd come to myself on a strange island. And what does a castaway do? Well, that Robinson Crusoe image works pretty well, doesn't it? He feels kind of like a Robinson Crusoe stranded on an island. Mm -hmm. What was that movie? Castaway? Yeah. Tom Cruise. His best friend's Wilson, the volleyball. I mean, isn't that... That's sad. <laughs> and then what he loses, Wilson, he starts... He just gets hysterical. I mean, just he just... Uh, he, he falls apart there because it's his friend there. To become aware of the possibility of the search is to be owned to something. Not to be owned to something is to be in despair. I mean, you've got to at least, you've, you've got the search, you've got, you're going somewhere. Um, Y'all see a movie, Insomnia? Uh, Paul Zoll was always, he was always, remember, he was always referring to movies. Most of them I'd never heard. His movies and my movies were usually different. But anyway, it's a, there's a great line in Insomnia set up in Alaska, and it's, uh, don't lose your way, one of the dying characters says. And, and poor Binks has, has lost his way, hadn't he? Okay. Um, all right, page 18. There's that key word about a few lines down from the top. Uh, Am I mistaken or has a fog of uneasiness, a thin gas of malaise settled on the street? That, that's that. The, the key word with him is the most important one there. It's your sad. On page uh, 20... He started, introduced his co my cousin Kate. Several years ago, Kate was engaged to marry Eddie's brother, Lyle. On the very eve of the wedding, Lyle was killed in an accident, the same accident which Kate survived. Well, well we understand Kate, don't we? Oh, God. That, it's, it's almost like a subplot. You notice what's happening to Kate is like a subplot to what's happening to Binks bowling here. I mean, this is the night before your wedding. And your fiancé dies in a car wreck 
and you survive the wreck. Like you thought, well, I don't deserve to be alive. And it's just, and so she's wounded. And so what we've got in the book, we've got two wounded ducks who are trying to find their way to each other and form a whole, right? They, they, they're, they're both hurt. They're both wounded and stuff. But the encouraging thing at the end is that I think they do find love and, you know, marriage, whatever, with each other reaching out and helping. And that's, and that's, you know, what we're supposed to do in this world, right? To reach out and to help each other because we all get, we all get knocked around. We all get knocked down some. Just make sure you get back up. Page 24. Do you remember when he sees the picture of his father? He says, one picture I never tire looking at. For 10 years, I've looked at it on the mantelpiece and tried to understand it. It's there in the darkening sky. Here are the two brothers, Dr. Wills and Judge Hans. My father's up for It's a pic- picture of his father here. And they're in the dark forest. <clears throat> okay, before his father died in the war. Uh, only Alex Boeing's missing. Handsome. His father's got this Rupert Brooke, Sir Galahad look from lot, so many of those World War I dashing soldiers had. Uh, that you see so often in pictures of World War I soldiers. His death in the Argonne, five years before it had held to be fitting since the original Alex Boulding was killed in Robichaux fleet of the Hood Breakthrough at Gaines Mill in 1862. My father's wearing some kind of fraternity blazer. There was a long line of service in the Percy family. They'd always been, you know, politicians and stuff. There was an expectation. They'd been given a lot, and so you had a responsibility to put a lot back in and so they were uh, <clears throat> very good at doing that and you're expected to do that and so here he's another problem that Bing's has he's lost his father his father is dead which is what Walker went through himself of course losing his father and his grandfather he was commissioned in the RCAF in 1940 and got himself killed before his country entered the war and in Crete in the wine dark sea and by the same Bosch and with a copy of the Shropshire Lad in his in his pocket, A. E. Houseman. So it was like, you know, this the romanticism. You know, you saw like in World War One. You know, this uh, the a lot of the the Brits going in there, leading a charge, dribbling a soccer ball. Literally, I'm mean, this idea of charge the light brigade, and the good guys are going to win, and and everything, and uh, it's uh, that. That romanticism just kind of got kicked out of the out of their heads. Then, now we get to the aunt. My aunt on page twenty six. My aunt has done a great deal for me. When my father was killed, my mother, who had been a trained nurse, went back to her hospital in Biloxi. My aunt offered to provide my education. As a consequence, much of the past fifteen years have been spent in her house. She's really my great aunt. Well, you see, he doesn't have a home, does he? Okay, so when he, you know, lost his father, then his mother remarried. So the aunt took him in, but it's it's not quite the same thing. So he there's again that that homelessness that's talking about. Okay, so he's searching searching for a home. Uh, I discovered my sole discernible talent, the trick of making money. So my, my <laughs> money's not one of the problems he has. Uh, and so he go when he goes to to um, you know his uh, his relative's house. 
in the, he and Walter talked football. Uncle Jules, who is uh, Aunt Emily's, you know, husband. Uncle Jules' life, life ambition is to revive the fortunes of the Tulane football team. Uh, here's what here's what I could start out. Some of this stuff maybe I didn't get. And I, I'm like some of y'all the first time I went through Walker Percy. I had to read all the books before I hosted this seminar and said, this is over my head. Okay, Mr. Hames, you, you can have to find somebody else. <laughs> then I read a second time. Well, maybe a little bit understand. understand. How about this for you, you Alabama fans and Auburn? When he, when he describes a goal line stand against LSU in 1932, it's like King Arthur standing. <laughs> this is this is now. They say this is perfect. It's like King Arthur standing fast in the blood red sunset against Sir Muldred and the traitors. I mean, I'm thinking, I'm thinking Alabama, Penn State, Sugar Bowl. You know, holding them seven times inside the nine. It's like. The whole world depends on keeping that Penn State fullback out of the end zone. It's got, and Johnson, it's a game, Jim, okay? It's just, I said, no! But that's what a perfect description there. Uncle Jules is the only man I know whose victory in the world is total and unqualified. He has made a great deal of money. He has a great many friends. He was Rex of Mardi Gras. He gives freely of himself and his money. He's an exemplary Catholic. Now, he, that Walker con, converted the Catholic Church while he's recovering, I believe, from the TB. But it is hard to know why he takes the trouble. For the world he lives in, the city of man, is so pleasant that the city of God must hold little in store from him. He's, <laughs> he's got everything. <laughs> That's, I mean, when he gets it right, they, these are good sentences. It is, it's good stuff. Why, why go to the trouble here? Okay. Oh, he starts talking about being uh, in college. Walker talked about himself at, at UNC. Is he? He said, "I just lived out on the porch and I propped my feet up and went to a lot of movies and stuff." But he did manage to get into med school, so I guess he studied some. While the brothers stood around courting us like virgins, and at the same time eyeing us like heifers. I think of Rush. Any of y'all ever gone for Rush? <laughs> Sawani. Oh, everybody loves you. Just going around, you know, one. Brothers, Jim Palmer, and I'm stomping around and looking at just, oh, they love you. They love you. And then you become a pledge in your dirt. I mean, your dog food, all of a sudden, it's just uh, amazing stuff there. Uh, I did not make a, them a good man at all. I managed to go to college for four years without acquiring a single honor. I'd spent four years propped up on the front porch of the fraternity house. A little bit of autobiography there. It's a little bit humble. I spend my entire time working, making money, going to movies, and seeking the company of women. How unusual. The last time I had friends was eight years ago when I returned from the Orient and recovered from my wound. Okay, now we just talk about the wound again. We, we find out later he, was, he had a physical wound from Korea, okay, when he fell asleep and uh, a lot of his ranger buddies were slaughtered because he just couldn't stay awake and they were ambushed. Um, the wound... Are y'all acquainted with the Fisher King myth that pops up in The Sound and the Fury and a lot of other places? That's a really useful myth. And again, with religious overtones here. So in the Fisher King, uh, the Fisher King is either impotent or he has a wound that will not heal. Okay, And he guards the Holy Grail. He, and he's in a wasteland. 
Okay, and so he's waiting for a Sir Galahad or a Quentin Compson or somebody to come galloping on, searching for that Holy Grail. And um, and he has to spend the night in the you know in the Chapel Perilous, and he answers some really incredible questions. And y'all are thinking Indiana Jones, right? Which is the real Grail? And he picks the wooden chalice, right, and everything. Uh, the definitive statement, of course, is Monty Python in the search for the Holy Grail. <laughs> These incredibly difficult questions. What's your favorite color? And he misses it. <laughs> now, see, that's funny. I mean, that, that's really, that's, that's funny. But anyway, so uh, the Fisher King has a wound that won't heal. He's in the wasteland. And the wandering night comes of, of, of great virtue. And uh, so that's really important, the sound of fury in other places. Uh, as Quentin Compson comes as a, a half-baked Galahad, he's not doesn't have quite the the virtue that uh, maybe uh, is expected of him. Let me let me take a break for just one sec. I didn't sh wasn't sure if I was going to have time to uh, to read this, but I think I should be doing okay. Let's see. I think I can just do this here, uh, just to give you an idea of kind of person we're dealing with okay just a little symbol little glimpse into walker percy and this is called the last gentleman it's written by john hummer who's a teacher at georgia southern and i just from the southern journal that most of my good stuff came from my students they would dig stuff up mr palmer you got to read this <clears throat> it was one of those fresh spring evenings when the outdoors practically hums in aliveness I was transplanting azaleas when I heard the back screen door close. Phone daddy, my five-year-old said. I'd heard it ringing a good five minutes ago. My daughter was not then telephone accomplished, so I was not surprised by the delay. I dropped my, we've all been there, haven't we? I dropped my shovel and removing my muddy shoes went inside. The caller probably had hung up. Hello, Mr. Hummer? Yes. This is Mrs. Walker Percy. My husband would like to speak to you. You take that phone call, by the way, all right? The history leading up to this call is brief. A chair of a committee, as chair of a committee, I'd been trying to secure a speaker for a new series of lectures at the college where I teach. We had hopes of landing someone famous for the inaugural lecture. Our committee had come up with two possibilities. One was Percy, the other a well-known author of a poetically evocative book about nature and God. I was happy with both. I presently taught my poet essay, the poet essayist book. And many years ago, the moviegoer had been a seminal book in my life. As much as any other book, it had caused me to pursue a career in, if not writing, then reading and teaching. I still have the first copy I got back in the 60s. At the tender age I was then, I believed that I, like Binks Bowling, carried the malaise inside me. I think a lot of teenagers have that some, don't they? I did. I also liked Percy's The Last Gentleman, attracted as I was to the notion of the quest. The poet naturalist told us nicely that for $2,000, we stood no chance of getting a writer of her stature to come to South Georgia. You've probably been in this situation. I wrote then to Percy, certain, however, that no writer of his stature, Southern or not, would accept. Mr. Hummer? Yes, sir. I'm calling about your invitation. A strong, likable, clear voice. 
not nearly as southern as his wife's. Yes, sir. I'm extremely sorry, but I'm afraid I will have to turn the offer down. I want to thank you personally for your kindness of thinking of me. Well, it isn't very much money. He was, he was quick to come back. No, no, it isn't that. It isn't money. Instantly, I felt crass. Speaking of money, I thought of the spiritual values which he had, of his writings, argued in the face of the maternal material obsession. I'm sorry, I didn't mean. That's all right. I know you didn't, but it's something else, and I regret I have to decline. The conversation was effectively at an end. I thanked him for calling personally and apologized for keeping him waiting. He said that was all right. He had had children. Walker had a deaf daughter that he spent a lot of time taking care of. After saying goodbye, I stood at the window looking at the deepening shadows and wondering if I should have told him how much the moviegoer had meant to me. Still, though we'd spoken only a few sentences, I felt I had a real, a, a real sense of the man, and it was a sense that corresponded with everything a reader might infer from his works. A week later, on May 10th, 1990, Walker Percy lost his struggle with cancer. I recall the shock I felt when I read about it in the paper. My hands trembling. I thought of the clear, forceful, and yet pleasant voice. He had been dying. Our invitation was one of those perhaps legion of things he was trying to dispose of before he died. I wished again I'd told him how much the moviegoer had meant to me. But perhaps he knew it. At his best, he was a writer with most marvelously developed intuitive powers. His, I know you didn't, might well have meant, I know you couldn't, because you liked the book. I know this. Into whatever deep shade he had gone, he had gone as an artist and a gentleman. Perhaps not the last gentleman, but a gentleman to the last. And see, that's great, isn't it? And I'm here, you know, he, he took the time to call and say, I'm sorry, I can't come. Uh, I'm dying. <laughs> that's, that, now, that's just, that is just first rate. That is just tells you a, a lot about that person there. Okay, so what, stop 10 till? Gail? Right. Is that about right? Okay. Well, let's see. Um, anyway, the best moments in this book are going to be Binks's encounters with Aunt Emily. Okay, uh, if you remembered anything out of the book, Aunt Emily is speaking for the old South. Okay, and she's trying her best to get him to get out of this chasing women and money and do something good for humanity. Because your family's always done this from. The Civil War on down, the Revolution, we have been public service. Y'all know what noblesse oblige is? I mean, just, and it's in, I guess it's in political correct stuff, but I mean, if you're, the thing is, if you're given a lot, you don't get arrogant about it. You just have a responsibility to give a lot back to other people. Okay? And that's, and that's what she felt. And so she tries her best to get him out of all this other stuff and to do something really important. And she starts that talking about, uh, don't you feel obliged to use your brain and to make a contribution? 
And he says, no. <laughs> Not really. And where we'll pick up next time, you be sure to read 54. There are two times where she just gives him both barrels, everything she's got, the whole Old South stuff, honor. Remember the word honor and character? You know, characters do, doing the right thing when you know nobody's watching. I love that definition. That's just when I, my first day taught my Altamont students, talking about honor. You have nothing more valuable than your good name. It's so easy to download a paper in a second, you know, whatever. But you're, you know, you're cheating. So keep your good name. Don't sacrifice that at all okay well that'll be his uncle will speaking to him well we will uh god that flies but it still still goes by fast i hope y'all come i hope i didn't run anybody off i just you know coming here next next sunday jocelyn's the only one bless her heart she'll be here <laughs> she's uh, anyway thanks for coming and this is bigger than i thought enjoyed it thanks a lot thank you he's a lot of fun you've got you've got some good stuff coming all right You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.